Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Safety Brief. Today, we're diving deep into a crucial aspect of cybersecurity, and that is recognizing red flags in email, phone, and online behavior. We'll discuss how to protect yourself against cyber threats and stay one step ahead of scams. Joining us today is Mike and Matt. Welcome, and as always, thank you both for being here. How you doing, Elizabeth? Doing all right. <laughs> so let's start with one of the most common attack factors, which is email. There are several indicators to be mindful of, things like unexpected attachments, misspelled URLs, and requests for sensitive information. These are all red flags to keep an eye out on. Um, I know we've also seen a domain that was even slightly um, altered by putting an R and an N next to each other to resemble an M. So these are all things to keep an eye out for when you're looking at these emails. So what are some techniques uh, cyber criminals use to make their emails appear genuine, like that example? There's so many techniques. Um, you know, I know Matt has a ton of insight to lend here, but just top of mind, uh, you know, there is a uh, there is something about the human condition that that uh, is driven by emotion, right? An emotional response or an emotional reaction where, it, it, you know, if you look at something in retrospect, like an email or a web promo or something, uh, you know, in 2020, everything's uh, in retrospect, everything's 2020 rather. Uh, but if you're in the moment, uh, you can be very easily clouded by an emotional reaction or, if you know, in analogy sake, a pressure plate. Right. So what what is going to create a pressure plate? And if I'm thinking like a threat actor for end users, meaning I, I'm a bad guy who seeks to do them harm or an organization harm, I'm going to think of what can solicit a really quick gut reaction or an emotional reaction. You know, and so in the past two years, we've seen this in a plethora of different ways, whether it's updated workplace mask policy uh, as the number one phishing email subject line through a number of different threat reports, right? Why is that? Well, uh, it got a high open rate and it got a high emotional response. You know, everybody was opening that email very eager to read its contents, understand what it was trying to communicate. Uh, and again, it, it, it doesn't maybe even have to be from an appropriate sender. Uh, it just has to catch the eye. It has to hit a pressure plate. And so if I'm a threat actor and I'm specifically crafting an email, I am going to obviously go to LinkedIn, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. And I'm going to do a little bit of research on my target. So if Matt is my target, uh, which I'm uncertain what Matt's social media or OSINT presence is, uh, I can at least look and see, okay, he posted some form of like kid soccer game, whatever, right? So what can I do? I can craft an email as a coach. I can craft an email as a parent. Right. Where maybe Matt doesn't know what the email would be for somebody like this, but it makes sense that he would get an email like this. You know, so if I'm thinking I put myself in the threat actors uh, footsteps, if you will, I'm going to think of what can solicit a reaction quickly that would lower judgment time or judgment percentage. Right. So no different than if you're, uh, you know, obviously 
you know, a ton of DUIs come with driving under the influence or driving under the influence of some substance. What is what is the issue there? Well, it lowers your reaction time. It lowers your judgment. Right. And in some of these emails, as they're being crafted by these threat actors to be sent to users, they're going to think of, you know, even uh, certain populations of uh, adults are getting targeted with Medicare or insurance or Social Security. Right. These are high ticket items that they would expect to see in their purview. But, you know, if I'm offering one piece of advice right off the get, you have to ask the question, does it make sense? Does it make sense that I'm getting this email from the sender that is sending it at the time that I'm getting it uh, and to the address I'm getting it at? Okay, so if you're getting an email that says your phone has been lost, please click here to find your phone. But it's sent to my work email, not my personal email then maybe that doesn't pass the doesn't make sense test. Um, but those, those are just quick things that come to top of mind for if I'm a threat actor, crafting emails, trying to think of what would solicit a response from an end user. Those would be the first things that come to mind. So humanity is inherently flawed. We have countless flaws. Emotions are one of the biggest flaws. Robots beat us in this point because they think of things and they do things without emotion. The biggest thing, and I'll I'll go based on prior experience of what we saw, um, anything pertaining to a loved one or anything pertaining to keeping yourself safe to protect your loved ones is a big thing. COVID was nasty. We know this. The phishing campaigns that came out around COVID were even worse. And that's because they played on the emotions and people would basically catch feelings and start trying to, you know, investigate. Now, why do I say humans have flaws? We use our work computers for things that we definitely shouldn't use our work computers for. I watched it quite frequently at, you know, one of my former employers. We had test machines that were designed for you to do things on that you didn't want to use your work machine for. What did people do? Loaded Facebook, loaded Gmail, loaded everything they possibly could on their work machine. The other keyboard is literally three inches away, but they would not switch over to it. What did this cause? People getting all kinds of things coming in because they were clicking on junk in their Gmail that they shouldn't be clicking on on their work machines. The other network with the test machines were segmented. It would have kept everything nice and safe. People are flawed. They want to do things the easiest way they can. People play on that. That's where you, you fall into these issues. Now, because we are going into the holiday season, we're going to have a whole bunch of things. The window is opening. People are about to get attacked with all kinds of nasty emails that they're going to end up clicking on. So here are a couple things that I would suggest just to help keep you safe. Number one, did you actually order anything being shipped to you from DHL? The answer there is no. No reputable vendor uses DHL. I'm sorry, they are terrible. No, Amazon will never ship through DHL. Most places you ship through are going to be UPS, FedEx, or USPS. 
Now, that doesn't say if you get something from UPS, USPS, or FedEx that you should click on the link. You need to also take a look and see, did you order something? The best option, go to the websites you would have ordered from and look for their tracking information. It's all going to be housed there with a lovely safe button that says track package. I know it works. Amazon does it because we get Amazon packages almost every day. So it's very easy to go in there and track everything. The emails that you're going to receive with these things are going to look extremely legit. Now, on top of this, you may not get emails. You may get text messages. That's one of the, the things that are being used now. Um, UPS will actually send you updates on your packages. So will USPS via text message. That's being exploited. Did you know you can actually preview where exactly a link is trying to send you before you click on the link using your phone? All you have to do is hold or click on the link and hold. Don't just click, but click and hold, and it'll actually bring up a preview pane on your phone showing you where it would be redirecting you to. I'll give you a spoiler. It's never the USPS website. Never. I think the last time I got one, it was like 14 letters followed by someplace overseas that I had never even heard of that I didn't even know was an internet extension. Um, needless to say, that that is that is not ever. So those are things that you need to, to keep an eye on. The elderly right now are going to be prime targets because they're going to be buying packages for you know friends, for family but they're not going to be as technologically savvy as what younger people are. You bought them a phone, you bought them a smartphone so they can FaceTime the grandkids. Well, the downside of buying them that smartphone is it has all of the smart functionality. You try to make it easy. You try to save information to their, their wallet or whatever. If you're on uh, iPhone, I don't know what's on Android. I'm sorry. I haven't used it <laughs> for years. Um, but those can be exploited. If somebody, you know, if somebody wants to, they will be able to. So it all comes down to just absolute awareness right now. This is the worst part of any year for anybody that works in security. And coming out of October, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, this is why we've kind of put together this end user bootcamp uh, segment. Um, so speaking of those malicious links, can you explain the importance of being cautious with email attachments and how can individual individuals verify the accuracy of links such like your mobile um, hack? So generally, if you are looking at a link on, a, on your computer, you can just put your mouse over it. It's called mouse over. If you look in the lower left-hand corner, you're generally going to see where it's going to try and actually send you to. The way that I, I mean, this is going to sound completely like tinfoil hattish, but I use separate email addresses when I sign up for anything that is not something I directly care about. So Mike, your example of, I may get emails from a soccer coach or something like that. No, I won't. They don't have my real, my real email address. They have an email address. I might check once a year. Um, that's by design. That's, you know, a way to keep spam from coming in. A lot of these things you sign up for 
are going to be unsafe. They're going to sell your information. Your email address is going to get out there. It's going to get leaked. And then you can become a target. So if you have throwaway email addresses, I'm just going to throw this out there. Gmail is free and you can make as many of them as you want. You can make an email address, log into it once every four months just to make sure that Google doesn't go through and purge it. But never have to worry about getting like junk email to an address that you actually care about. That'll help keep you safe right there. If you can't get the links, you can't click the links. See? See? I do the same thing. I have a spoof email, which anywhere you go, people are asking for email, mm -hmm. sign up for this, sign up for that. All social media, they're, they're all on that spoof email. I have a work email. I have a professional email. And then I have my school email. So, I mean, it's a lot to keep up with, but um, it's very helpful. I will just say this. If I sign up for something and it's going to be like a one-time use thing, I apologize to the owner of the no.com domain because the email address no at no.com was my go-to for probably 13 years. So I apologize. You're getting all kinds of stuff that you probably never anticipated getting. Yeah, it's funny, Matt. When you said that, I went and counted in my uh, password manager and i have nine gmail accounts uh right? i have nine gmail accounts and this isn't a plug for gmail as much as it is uh a recognition that the everyday user not asking everybody to go sign up for a banking email and a personal email and a school email right no, but there is no. something um there is something to be said about not just password managers but separating out emails or, or contacts for function Right. And so, you know, who do you give your your phone number to? Where do you put your phone number? Uh, you know, it's kind of a difficult, kind of a difficult reality. And I don't mean this to scare or stagger, but I feel like we could do more from a malicious standpoint with someone's phone number than their social security number in 2020. In that case, uh, as long as you're going to be using your Gmail account and creating multiple accounts for safety's sake, I would like to introduce you to a wonderful feature called Google Voice. Google Voice. In which case, you can get a completely BS number that you never plan on using, and you can receive text messages on that yeah. that for you know validation, authentication, whatever. Yeah. But don't have to worry about it because you can put in fake information so it never traces back to you. This is something yeah. I suggest to all family members who have an online business or something that they're promoting. You know, I see so many vehicles with their phone number on the little magnets, people giving out mm -hmm. cards and that's their personal phone number, yeah. especially when it's, you know, people selling like the, it works or things of that nature. Definitely have a spoof phone number. If you're going to be presenting it to a large number of population. So Absolutely. let's, let's dive into this a little bit more because it's not just digital that we have to worry about. There's been a long-standing tradition around this time that you start getting flash drives showing up to your house. Those flash drives have malicious content on them. Okay, so how do you prevent that from showing up to your house and somebody that just thinks, oh, cool, free flash drive and plugs it in? Okay, this isn't the cheapest option. It's not free, but I will say this is absolutely amazing. Get a P.O. box. Number one, it keeps your address off of it. You can get an actual physical address for your P.O. box so people won't realize it's a P.O. box. They'll think it's just a business address. Yeah. 
if you don't take something out of the P.O. box for a period of, I think it's 60 days, they'll just throw it away. They'll consider it abandoned mail and they get rid of it. So you can go up there. You can take a look at it. Anything that comes in, they have a giant bin right there next to the P.O. boxes where you can throw junk away. Makes it simple. Never gets in your house. Never becomes a threat. On top of that, your personal information isn't out there because it's a, a, a dummy address. So I guess the, the theme of our show this time is how to become fake and hide yourself. How to anonymize yourself while <laughs> yeah, being basically. digital. Yeah. How I to think... become a human VPN. Right. Yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of information for people who are maybe catching the safety brief for the first time or maybe passing this on to uh, everyday users and just employees of enterprises that are more familiar with cybersecurity awareness than the bells and whistles and ones and zeros of cybersecurity. But I think really, truly, uh, number one, understanding that your data is valuable uh, is kind of the, the the preface is, you know, yes, you're, you're going to put your phone number somewhere. You're going to put your your address somewhere, but more so being cognizant of does it make sense to provide a platform with your phone number? You know, I know a friend that's shopping for a home right now in this market and it's crazy, right? It's crazy for everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's a banner, there's an advertisement uh, up at the top of their preferred real estate website of choice no no more plugs here you know even though gmail got a few um uh and it's simply it was an ad but it said you know win a you know enter in to win a hundred thousand down hundred thousand dollar down payment for your home right what did it require required your phone number your name your address your your this your that didn't it didn't require social didn't require like a credit check or anything but you know mother's maiden name yeah, right. Yeah. But how how are people able to do that? You know, why would people pay for advertisements? Why would people pay to for that advertising block in that space online? It's because what you're providing them is valuable. That data to marketers, you know, heaven forbid to threat actors is something that is a real valued item. People go online, they pay for these data lists, these databases and they purchase that data, you know, and that's the first thing I could probably preface all of this with is that your data really is a commodity. It is a good in this market, right? So people can purchase it and where you put your data is just something to be mindful of, you know, and again, you know, my, 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 my friend who is, uh, who's, who's searching for a home, uh, put this data in, they say, Oh, well, you know what, what's the harm? And I said, well, here's the reality. If the, person that gets access to that data just knows that you're shopping for a home and knows your email address they can send a very specifically crafted email to you hey it's coming up to holiday time we had a home in the zip code that you specified open up you know military family or small growing family or single family home whatever it is that you put into that that survey they can use that data in a very crafted way to send an email that sounds very legitimate, it sounds very legitimate. So we just have to remember that, you know, your data is worth protecting. It's worth putting in places that is secure. Um, you know, does that mean go leave every electronic bank and go cashless? No, right. I'm not saying exclude yourself from the culture, but it is something for end users listening to this, that that number one, your data is valuable and it's worth protecting. Number two, if it falls into the wrong hands, it is highly likely to be sold 
reused or exploited for purposes that, again, escalate privilege or escalate credibility in an email. Um, and it's really something to be aware of, you know, and Matt, Matt used the analogy earlier, tinfoil hat. But again, there is a reason why John Dillinger and in-person bank robbery has borderline gone extinct. People mm -hmm. can do this from their couches, from their homes across the country, across the world without ever leaving their home, without ever purchasing a firearm, without ever endangering themselves and without ever going into a bank. And right, becoming fully game. anonymous thanks to zero logging VPNs, proxies and everything right. else that's out there at this point. So we say it as an awareness piece for those end users listening, right? Your data is valuable. It is worth protecting. And it's something to keep top of mind, as well as the email takeaway of if you're getting that email, really, truly, the first common sense question to ask is, does it make sense? Does it pass that check that I'm getting this email now from this person with these contents, you know, and even even it's from a trusted contact, right? Like, let's say, you know, e Matt and I email each other all the time. Elizabeth and I email each other all the time. If I get an email from them, first thing I'm going to do is if it's a call to action or if it's asking me for something, I'm going to immediately just validate with them. Hey, just confirming. I know that this is your signature block. I know that this is your email address. I'm just confirming. Did you send this right? Just a healthy, just a healthy, minute level of suspicion is healthy. It really, really mm -hmm. is. And how do I know this? Right. Just this week, you know, many, many families went out and did trick or treating with their their little ones. Right. Whatever age range you are, you could trick or treat as old as you'd like. But as you're going out, you know, as a parent, there's a healthy level of suspicion of the candy that's putting into the kids bags. Right. There's a healthy. You know, does this one look old? Does this one look expired? Does this one look a little used? Right. There's a healthy amount of suspicion there. And so I just I want to use that as an analogy that's just current to this week that uh, would just maybe be a reminder or a visual indicator that a little healthy suspicion when it comes to emails, phone calls, ads uh, is healthy when it comes to uh, really end user awareness and, and cyber awareness as a whole. Now, one thing I want to point out, you've talked about how PII and, you know, all that is is valuable. I don't think people understand how valuable it is. You know how uh, there's a certain company that uh, has a giant F as their logo? I mean, they are a giant F, but we won't get into that. They are built on the entire premise and foundation of using you as their revenue generation source. No, just remember. Actually... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that's actually a topic that we're going to discuss in this stream as well. Um, how to stay safe on on social media and things of that nature. But moving on uh, to mobile, uh, scams and phishing attempts are increasingly targeting people through phone calls and text messages. Just like we stated, there are some tactics that you can put in place. Phone scams have become more sophisticated um, and some red flags for those include unsolicited requests for personal information or payment calls from unknown or blocked numbers and high pressure tactics to get immediate response. For me personally, if I don't know the number, I don't answer. If it's important, you leave a voicemail. And that's just how I was raised. And it's just been something that I've kept on doing. Um, so can you elaborate on the tactics that scammers use to create urgency or pressure during, during these phone calls? I can tell you one that they tried to use on me, which was hilarious. <laughs> So I'm, I'm at Taco Bell picking up food, 
Okay. Nothing out of the ordinary. I get a phone call. I pick it up. Dude on the other end, you know, says, this is Chase Bank. Okay, cool. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, we're calling you because there's a transaction that we need to we need to discuss with you because it appears as though uh, it, it's over your limit and it's been declined because you're using it, it's your card is expired. I'm like, okay, that's that's great. Instantly, I already know this is a terrible phone call because I mean the dude is clueless um, as all can be. So I'm sitting there, mind you, I have my kid with me, so I put it on speakerphone because why not? Educational opportunity here. So, you know, the guy goes through and he says, uh, well, we need you to, to give us the information for this card. I'm like, dude, you work for Chase. You have that information there. What do you need me to verify of that information that you already have? Well, we need you to give us the entire card number. I'm like, that's not how this works. Um, I can verify the last four digits if you would like me to, knowing that he doesn't have any of my active cards. So he gives me a card that I know has not been active for the greater part of 10 years. So I'm saying, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that, that's really bad. That card hasn't been active for at least 10 years. Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, how, how do we fix this? And he goes, well, somebody's committing fraud in there, and it's, it's a scam. I'm like, really? You don't say. You know, trying to, you know, keep him on. Now, to, cut it, to kind of get to the, the long story short, they, they prey on trying to get you to understand or feel as though there's something that needs to be done, that you're going to suffer if you don't do this. Well, I threw it back at them and basically said, well, I, how do I know that you're not a scammer? And I got them so flustered that the guy actually dropped the act and said, shut up and give me the card information. I am the scammer. I'm like, all right, now we're getting somewhere. So they will, they will try and prey on your emotions. They'll try and say, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to contact the authorities and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to pay you a visit. No, they're not. They're really not. Um, there's no proof that you made a transaction. There's no grounds for them to come and pay you a visit. So I'm just throwing that out there. Unless there is a photo that goes along with it of you doing this transaction, not going to happen. Plus, it's your own card. Yeah. Like, come on now. You can't scam yourself. If you're scamming yourself, it's impressive. But then aren't you just paying <laughs> yourself so it's not really scamming? It's my um, way of saving. It's my way exactly. of saving up. Yeah. Exactly. It's just me putting money in my savings account. That's scamming it. myself. That's it. My cousin from another continent exactly. has an inheritance for me, Matthew. It's holiday time. I want that inheritance. You know You're going mean? to need that inheritance. Have you seen the price? Spoiler of alert. This year? You don't have an inheritance. You don't have a cousin <laughs> in another country. If if your family is settled on this continent, the likelihood of another family member on another continent is low. There are low. very minimal chances that you are related to a deposed prince of any kind yeah. whatsoever. You don't have like a family mining operation that's been extinct no. for 20 years no. and just started back up. Exactly. No, I think but, what, what Matt highlighted is important because there are stages to these calls and mm -hmm. they're, they're very easily traced out. You know, um, Matt and I got to attend a presentation in Southwest Louisiana just this past summer that was so it was so well done uh, it was an entity that did coordinated testing of organizations using vishing using on-site in-person social engineering right so if you don't know what social engineering is really easy example is i want to get into a concert i don't have a ticket but i'm going to put on a, a highlighter high-vis vest and walk around with a clipboard and try to get it right i'm going to look look the part put on a little disguise right it's like a timeless timeless act 
it still works today. Get a walkie talkie, you know, earpiece, walk around, look like I'm important, look like I belong there. And I might just get in. Right. And so mm-hmm. what's important with these phone calls, and this is really what I want users to leave with that are listening to this is there will be first a claim to credibility. Mm-hmm. Who is calling you? They're going to first try and identify themselves as a trustworthy source. They could say it's your sister, cousin, brother, or sister, whoever it is, or they could say it's a company. In Matt's instance, that was a perfect example, a banking entity, uh, a, a vendor, an online e-commerce platform is going to be very common. We're calling to confirm that you placed this order for this highly expensive thing. Guess what? It's probably two days before payroll hits to cause a little bit of pucker factor, a little bit of scared pressure plate emotional reaction, right? I can't have $1,200 hit my bank account right now or ever, right? Uh, You know, they're going to do a number one. They're going to claim to be a trustworthy place, and that's credibility. The other thing they're going to do is create urgency or call to action. So they're going to create some form of urgency that, hey, I'm calling from this location. Here's the purpose of my call. Here's the relevance. Here's why I'm calling you. Okay. First, they're going to identify themselves. Then they're going to say the why they're calling you. Right. Second off, and this is candidly, Elizabeth eliminated this already as being a potential that if you don't recognize a phone number, 95% of the time, you're not going to get this call. You're not going to pick up this call. And the beauty is I encourage all of you that are listening to this, a lot of cellular providers today, not all, but some have built in or an app store available app for scam call screening. Mm -hmm. So I know like uh, there are certain phones that have incredible AI capacity to like monitor and, and text to speech or speech to text the person on the other line, almost like an answering service. But even with the mention of Google voice earlier, what happens when someone calls a Google voice number is the person calling that number. So think of like the threat actor in this case, or your bank, they're going to say, please state your name. So Google can connect you to this user. So first off, they already have to come up with a name and maybe they didn't have that. They just had a company because it's Ben from Southwest airlines, right? Whatever it is. And immediately it puts them on the spot. It, it flips the table. It creates the spontaneity. Their script is already a little bit off, creates some uncertainty for them, and they could just bail out, right? They can immediately just hang up, and it's not. And that's why most of these platforms don't leave voicemails, to Elizabeth's point. So again, just something really quick, really easy guide to understand. Number one, they're going to create, they're going to identify themselves, and then they're going to state the relevance of their call, why I'm calling, and then there's typically a call to action. Immediately, like Matt said, I'm going to need you to validate your credit card number. Nobody needs to validate your credit card number. Nobody needs to ask for your password. No one needs to. Now, if it's your bank calling you and say, I need to validate some transactions, you let them say what the transactions were, where they were, and how Mm -hmm. much they were. You let them give you the information. They're calling you, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, don't be so caught up in the moment that you then just follow right along. Oh yeah. No, thanks for calling. I just went to the store. I bought, I just got out of target. Now that's information they can use to further credible, like add credibility to their, their conversation. Right. So again, I will one up you. Yeah. You were saying the, the, you know, if you don't know the number, don't answer it. Even if you know the number, don't answer it. (laughs) If you send everybody to voicemail, you can be sure that you're calling back the right person. 
Matt loves uh, Matt's family loves him during holiday time. This man doesn't pick up a single phone call. He my says, phone has me, not my... made a noise for the last four and a half years. <laughs> it is on silent. it is on silent mode all the time. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's definitely one way, right? I mean, you could just not have a cell phone. You know, you can go so far to you know just unplug. You know, nobody can call you and fish you these uh, days. If you don't have a number. <laughs> Probably safer, honestly. Yeah. yeah, you can reach me by mail. You know, there's not a lot of people asking Carrier me to validate a transaction. That's my preferred mode yeah. of communication. Yeah. I mean, even uh, we're talking about mail. I, I apologize for off the reservation here, Elizabeth. But specifically, you know, mail in like paper mail, right? These pre-approved mm -hmm. offers from credit card companies. Listen, fam, <laughs> that, that's fishing for information, right? Like if it's oh, not yes. a known bank you're doing business with, they're obviously fishing for information. They found your your name and address somewhere on like a public tax record or on your voter registration card or in some like public database. The uh, credit card companies sell that. So if you have oh, a yeah. credit card, all of them have your information. Yeah, it's terrible. exactly. Yeah. If you get one of those, the safest thing to do is rip it up into a number of different pieces <laughs> yeah. and actually throw it away, but not in the same bag. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure diving is still a thing. Counter a lot of those, surprisingly enough, a lot of those applications come with things already filled out. Yeah. And all you have to do is sign it and send it back. Yeah. So all that person needs to do is change the address on where they want things sent to. And they can basically get a card in your name, use it and have fun with it. Yeah. Also, even your name and address. Is valuable if your bank ever sends you those uh, checks that you can use that are like payday loans or advance checks or anything like that, rip those up, get rid of them. If you, if you're not, if I mean, you honestly, if you have to use those, you're going to take a hit anyways, but those come pre-filled. Like it's dangerous. I, I yeah. would not recommend that. Something we do in our household is we have one of those giant Sharpie markers and maybe it's a military thing from my father. Um, we've always blacked out the address, our name, any personal information. Not everyone owns a shredder, especially these in this Burned day it. and age. So that's something that you could definitely do is, is black it out. Um, and speaking with the um, validation factor, if you think about any time that a doctor has asked you to validate, you know, the last four of your social, mm -hmm. it's always the last four. They've never asked me personally, I need your full social or called me and asked me for that sensitive information. Same with banking accounts or even account number for like Netflix. They ask you for the last digits of your account, whether it be four five or six, depending on what it is. I have never been requested to provide an entire account number for any instance. They have that information. And if it's just for validating, you should not have to provide it. So, don't. so you mean if somebody asks me for the last nine of my social security number, I should not <laughs> give it to them? <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't pass. That doesn't make sense. Uh, right. It doesn't make. But again, to that point that Elizabeth brought up, I think that's it's, it's incredibly insightful. Uh, again, you're the recipient of this phone call or email. Mm -hmm. You have the power to push back. You have the power to exert a, a healthy amount of suspicion. So what's a great way to even put them off uh, if it is a threat actor? Obviously, we're not trying to heckle. You know, if you're, you're listening to this and you work at a bank 
and you work at a call center, I'm not trying, we're not trying to make your life miserable, <laughs> but the reality is, is a lot of that is weaponized and, and the trust is abused by threat actors. So we're really, what we're trying to do is, is generate a little bit of uh, muscle memory. And one really easy thing you can do is if they call you and they're asking for validation, or if you're calling them, right? Let's say you're calling them, you're calling your phone carrier to upgrade to a phone or whatever it is. You ask them of alternate ways to validate your identity because that's what they're going to say at the gate. If you're calling them, hey, I need to validate your information to get access to your account. I promise you 100% there are multiple ways to validate that. So if you're like, hey, I don't feel comfortable providing my social security number over the phone. Can I do billing address? Right. Can I do zip code? Can I do, you know, a street address I lived on recently or whatever it is? Right. There are there are multiple ways to validate that. Can I get a text message? Can I get an email with a code? Things like that. So, you know, be creative. You know, obviously don't push back. And if you're calling them, you know, you want to render your service and you want to get your bank to right. help you or whoever it is. But there are multiple ways to validate. Here's, your here's account. A, a small trick. Um, if they call you. So obviously this isn't the you calling them, but if they call you and you are suspicious that it is something fraudulent. I've done this. Can you please put a note in the account? I'm going to put you on hold and I'm going to validate that note exists. Now they don't understand, but they put a note in the account. I put them on hold. I swap over to another line. I call the number to the entity in question and get somebody on the line and say, yes, I would like to validate the person I have on the other line is an employee of your organization. Can you please let me know the last note that has been put in under, under my account? If that note is there, cool. Thank you very much. Hop back over. Thank you very much for your for waiting. I just wanted to verify, you know, carry on with your day. If it's not there, then you let them know you have somebody that is pretending to be from their employee. Um, if you can give them the phone number, great. But a lot of times they're going to be spoofing numbers anyways. Um, you just conference so, them in, make it really uncomfortable. You can. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, hey, I would do that. I, I love I, I, my entire <laughs> life's goal is to see how awkward I can make every situation. <laughs> so, like, so I got somebody you want to talk to. I connect you with the local police department. Hey, you know, can you talk to me? I think answer. it also, you know, it it speaks on taking the time to maybe sign up for MFA or maybe doing those security questions. Some places have that optional, but if you do fill that out and if you do take the time to do that and you don't feel comfortable, you could ask that, can I use my security questions? Can I do this pin instead? Can you send me a text message? So there is kind of um, a level of security there. Um, in your professional opinion, are there any specific industries or scenarios where phone scams tend to be more prevalent? I know we've talked a lot about banking and things of that nature, but um, I'm sorry. Hospitality. Because they're used to, or the premise behind hospitality is you're reaching out to make sure that things are taken care of. And by hospitality, it could be anything from uh, somebody that's doing concierge booking for flights, vacations, somebody who is doing hotels, you name it, they have the capability that they're going to reach out with you. And a lot of times it's not an automated call. Somebody reaches out to validate information prior to your stay, prior to your flight, et cetera, if you don't do it all online. Uh, if they know that you went through a travel agent, they have an in right there. Hi, this is so-and-so from whatever travel agency. Just wanted to 
uh, validate some information about your trip, but I don't have all of the information, you know, with me. Can you please give me some information? Oh, okay. You've just given them the entire information when you're planning on being out of town. And now, you know, they're, they're waiting, you're gone, they're in your house and all your crap is out the door. Like, I mean, that's, it's a very rudimentary way of, of gaining access, but you're basically just confirming and having a person tell you you're basically socially engineering the information out of them. I actually went on a cruise um, last year and I actually had this happen to us. And um, how I went around that was I asked them, it's already in my account. I've already put it on through the portal. If you can confirm it there where we're going, when, like I kind of asked a little bit more questions, especially because it was a different agent mm. due to, the agent that I was working with being out of office. So I just let them know you can put a note and have the agent that I previously worked with call me back. So definitely speak to the same person, especially if you already have a portal login and your information information is already out there. So lastly, our online behavior can also uh, reveal vulnerabilities oversharing personal information, <laughs> using weak passwords, and falling for social engineering tactics are all common behaviors that can lead to security risk. Um, it's crucial to be mindful of what you share um, and update uh, your passwords regularly. Um, so with that in mind, what are some best practices for social platforms such as Facebook, as you uh, tried to mention earlier, and Instagram and so on, in your professional opinion. Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any like uh, personal rules set in place to keep some privacy? As we know, some like to extremely overshare or mm -hmm. even blog their every day-to-day -day move, where they are, where they live, what they're doing. Um, for me personally, I try to be more cautious. And if I do want to post that I was somewhere, I do it after I've already gotten home, especially with the geo tracking and things of that nature. If I went to Disneyland, I will post it the weekend I'm back home and so on. So personally, what are your, um, I guess, best practices in that? Uh, so first off, Facebook is supposed to be for friends, not for every person in the world that you think actually cares about you when they just really want to be associated to you and say, I know this person. Okay, great, wonderful. There's plenty of sites for that, like TikTok. Um, I, my, my Facebook is locked down. Nobody can see anything. My friends can't even see any of the information about me. I think I maybe have 130 people on Facebook. And you know what? Don't even care if I got rid of my Facebook. Doesn't bother me. Because I'm not sharing every bit of my life with everyone. It's, there's no point to. I mean, I hate to say this, but nobody's life is that important that you want to see every aspect of it. Even the people that think their lives are that important that have millions and millions of followers, that's fake. You're only seeing the good stuff. You're not seeing the real stuff behind the scenes that they're going through. It's all a facade. Now, what else can you do to keep yourself safe on Facebook? This is going to hurt people. Buckle up. When you see something saying, let's get to know each other better. Give me answers to this. When was your first date? What's your favorite color? All of that can be used to get answers to your security questions. 
It's not hard. This is not rocket science. If they're asking tailored questions like that, it's, you know, they're, they're looking for simple one word answers. They're not looking for a novel because they're trying to get information about you so that they can put a profile together so they can get your information. Not hard. Stop putting those things online. Do yourself a favor. I have relatives that to this day still do it. Do you know why they still do it? Because I've given up on them. I have told them countless times, this is a terrible idea. Please stop doing it. There, there is a limit to how many times that you, you can really ask somebody before you just realize they're going to do it either way. <laughs> so you may as well just sit back with some popcorn and watch. But that's going to keep you safe. The other thing, and I can't stress this enough, if you are going to be sharing pictures of your friends, family, most importantly, your children, limit the audience. You do not need random people seeing pictures of your children because your Facebook is set to show everything to public. That is a terrible idea. With geotagging, with how much some of these people are just doting over their children, I get it. Kids are fantastic. A lot of other people don't have the same goals and can be a bit more nefarious. They could try and find, you know, the kids. They could try to use your kids against you. Don't share their pictures. If you have to, share them with family under a controlled environment. Just do things that are common sense. We tell all of our children, okay, oh, this is going to sound really funny, but as a kid, I was told, don't get into cars with strangers. Don't ask for anything from strangers. Don't do all of this or don't meet people online. You know, none of this stuff. Nowadays, I'm literally ordering a ride online from a stranger getting in their car and they're offering me things to eat and drink. It's a very different time we live in. <laughs> we live in a weird time, but there's some things we need to go back to. And a lot of that is we need to keep our information safe. We need to keep our family and our friends safe. Super well said, Matt. Uh, really, in, in closing, uh, my comments come from a post that came from the Innocent Lives Foundation a couple of mm -hmm. weeks ago. I actually reshared this on LinkedIn, but this hit home for me as a parent. Uh, you know, it was specifically targeting considerations for posting your children's photos online. Obviously, your data as an individual is under your safeguard, but I think we can really quickly lose sight of we're also stewards of our our children's data uh, that is candidly going to live with them the rest of their life. And so uh, being mindful of like, you know, again, this, this is a new thing. Uh, parents and, and grandparents didn't have to think about, you know, what if I take my photo of my child and my family photo at the lake and put out a Christmas card even, right? Like, where is that going to end up? Right. Well, today it's something we have to think about. And so mm -hmm. specifically, it cites these considerations. Number one, how well do you really know everyone on your friends list immediately mirrors what what Matt had already said. Right. What is the exposure of your profile? I know on Twitter slash X, uh, Facebook, Instagram, you can change your profile to public or private, meaning uh, only certain approved users have access to your content. That's an immediate no brainer. Do that right now. Press pause on this. If you're catching the recording, press to close the window if you're listening to it live go do this right now uh if you have not already locked down your profile 
to private on any of those social media platforms, please do that, right? Please do that. Because again, it just, it has a control over who has access and who doesn't, uh, as well as, you know, who can get in. Cause candidly, if you go to Facebook or any of these platforms, right click, save as photo download. There's no, there's no protection or yeah. prevention of those photos being downloaded. And we're not going to kick this out to another 45 minutes, but now you have AI, now you have deep fakes. Now you have photo manipulation the implications are scary, right? So just be thoughtful about where you're posting this, who has access to it. The second one is, is it possible that people other than your immediate friends have access to the images? And this is where platforms primarily powered by meta, like the parent uh, parent account of Facebook and Instagram, where once yep. you subject media to those platforms, they have essentially claimed ownership over that media. Meaning like right. if you are using their platform to share it, spoiler alert, you're not paying for something, you're the product. Yep. So what are they going to do to monetize it? Well, now they have access to that. That could be promotional material in Instagram. It could be promotional material in Facebook. You could be the very next banner, you and your family could be the next banner on an ad somewhere. Uh, but you've consented to that because you scroll through the T's and C's and, and hit check and say, yeah, no problem. Uh, TikTok so is, is the it, same way. In fact, worse. Oh, yeah. Because all of their, yeah. like everything that you do on there gets uploaded to a server. All videos, everything in raw format. So think about that. You've got videos of your kids up there with their voice, their likeness. Their parent company actually creates deepfakes. Like TikTok's, I, I believe it's ByteDance. I think. Isn't that yeah. who owns it? Uh, they created deepfakes. They were one of the first to actually create a deepfake app that people could download to take you know, random pictures and turn them into a fully functioning video. Absolutely. That segues to the other point. Uh, that they brought up, will your children regret the images you have posted when they are older? And this one, this one, that, that's again, a big one. This, this one blows your mind a little bit because the photos on the internet will live forever in mm -hmm. some form or fashion, right? Unless it's like a secure photo album and you're sharing it with like iMessage or iCloud link or Google photo drop, secure drop, whatever it is. Uh, one day those kids are going to grow up uh, and they may not appreciate the photos that were posted right now. Again, the precedence here it, it can go far more than the time we have, but it's something that I, prior to reading this post, I didn't even think about the timelessness of data online. Um, I, I don't post photos of, of, of adolescents or someone I can't get consent from you. Right. And, and even, I, I think even States like Illinois, this is a truth. People can unpack this further after you, uh, as you have time, but even States like Illinois, it is illegal to get a photo of somebody without their consent. So yeah. like this was implications for like red light cameras and things like that. There was a lot of like uh, thin ice that uh, a lot of legal courts were on because, OK, you're taking photos of this. Are, are there enough sufficient postings of red light cameras in this area or things like that? Right. So consent's a hot topic right now. Last one here before we wrap is do you also post other identifying markers on social media such as your town, your neighborhood, the school, Elizabeth tagged on this with like geotagging. But even so, I mean, the delayed post part, I need to reiterate because that is so, so good. Do not live post anything anywhere as you're traveling, right? Like on the way to the airport, on the way to the train station, on the way to the bus stop. Well, guess what? That means you're not home right now. I'm gone from this day to this day. Oh, well, great. Right. If I'm if I have access to any form of, of that social media post and I also know your address because you've put that in your sweepstakes form online, 
I now know mm-hmm. nobody's at that home for the next week. Right. So again, it's just a mindfulness of going back to your data is worth protecting where you post it. Think twice. And again, I can't uh, I can't overstate the precedence or the importance of this with children involved uh, because they're going to this data is going to outlive candidly all of us on some of these platforms. And it's something to really be mindful of. I, I saw that post as well, and I totally agree. And I've even had to, you know, request my my parents to take down some photos and some, you know, content that they uploaded years and years ago when Facebook and these social media platforms were brand new, not thinking one day she's going to be 20, you know, 7, 26, looking for a professional job and doesn't want these embarrassing photos to be out there. So, and even though they're deleted, they're still out there. So definitely wait till your, you know, children can consent. This is something we're going to be practicing in our household. And if you need to, you can, you know, write a a list of rules to share with family members, because that's also something you have to look out for is so-and-so posting, you know, photos of my child in the bathtub or, you know, things inappropriate that you don't want to be out there. So I appreciate you touching in on that as well, Mike. Those are some great aspects. So to wrap up this episode, I just want to say thank you both for shedding light on these important red flags and how we can better protect ourselves in the digital world. To our listeners, remember to stay educated and try to apply some of these tips that you learned today. Um, Again, join us for another episode of The Safety Brief where we will continue the cybersecurity end user bootcamp segment. And feel free to comment any topics you'd like to hear more about in the upcoming decisions. Thank you both for watching, or thank you both for being here, and thank you everyone for watching, and stay frosty. Thanks, everybody.